Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie, and I am your host, and we've got a great show for you this week. I'm very excited. I sat down with Hamid Shojai, and we talked about EVs, and we talked about battery backup, and we talked about Tesla, obviously. And I got to actually do an in-person recording, which, you know, hasn't happened since pre-pandemic, and it didn't even happen that often when I did do them. So it was really nice to sit down with Hamid and actually you know, look at each other in 3D and have a conversation and just kind of hang out and talk about nerdy stuff, which uh, I love talking about nerdy stuff, obviously. So it was really fun. A couple things before we get to the interview, I would like to welcome Steve to the Patreon community. Steve, thank you so much for supporting the show, not only financially, but with good advice and uh, tips and, and just being an overall kind person. So thank you so much. Normally I do a Patreon plug here, but um, I'm going to give you guys a break this week. And speaking of breaks, normally we have an ad in the middle of the show if the show is longer than 30 minutes, because this is a uh, an interview and we're not going to do any news this week. There's not going to be an ad in the middle of the show, so you guys get a, a break from that. I didn't want to interrupt our conversation with an ad, because I know sometimes that can be distracting from what's going on in, in the interview. All right, and we're going to get to the interview real real quick here, I promise, but I do need to make a correction. We were talking about the company Electra Mechanica. They make the Solo. And I had mentioned that they're making this ridiculously priced uh, vehicle. And I thought it was called the Torino, but it's actually called the Tofino. And that vehicle starts at $50,000. What I was actually, what I should have said was the E-Roadster. I just couldn't remember it. I got the cars confused. The E-Roadster is this beautiful old uh, classic Porsche looking car. I said Corvette. I don't know cars. But it's this beautiful old classic Porsche car. It's $160,000 to start. It's got a 45 kilowatt hour battery pack, which would put the range right around 200 miles, depending on how efficient the battery pack is and how light the vehicle is, which it looks like it's really light. So when we get to that part of the interview, replace whatever I said with the information I just gave you, because I was very wrong. I mean, the point stands but the actual information I gave was incorrect, so I wanted to correct that here. So let's go ahead and jump to the interview now that I've aired my dirty laundry. Hamid, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for having me, Modi. Yes, thank you. Um, For those who don't know, I just kind of hit you up on Twitter, and I was like, would you like to come on the show? And you said yes, and here we are. So... uh, a few like a week later almost yeah well i'm a a huge ev enthusiast tesla enthusiast um space enthusiast it's just like all the things that elon musk is trying to do (laughs) it seems like are aligned with my interests yeah and uh same so it works out really well so uh before we jump into our two topics today um i just wanted to allow you an opportunity to let people know who you are uh, yeah, I'm a software guy by background. Um, Hamid Chojai, I started a software company called Axosoft. Uh, later, uh, we had a sort of a side project that turned into another company called Pure Chat. And um, last year, I sold both companies. And now I'm sort of working on hobbies and podcasts and other 
uh, cool stuff and investing. Um, so I, I evaluate like startups and I'm sort of in the back of my mind trying to figure out what I'm going to do next as well. So um, at some point I want to start another company and um, doing some research as to what that uh, will be. Um, you know, impact is something that I, that's important to me this time around. Um, so hopefully we can do something that has a great deal of impact for humanity. Yeah. And um, we're going to talk about a one of those options here in a, in a moment. I will, your podcast is AZ Tech Beat, right? Yeah. Uh, AZ Tech Podcast. And then, uh, we have AZTechBeat.com, which covers like Arizona tech news, but the AZ Tech Podcast, I have like, uh, founders and investors and, uh, people who are doing some cool, cool shit basically is the way I describe it. Yeah. And, and it's not, it's, I mean, it may, these are companies that are in Arizona, but they're not, they're just not doing business in Arizona. They're doing business worldwide. So it's worth, if you have that interest, to, to go and check it out. And I'll put a link in the show notes, too, so that everybody can find it. Um, so the first thing we're going to talk about, I'm just we're just going to go over some EV market. We're just going to talk about some EV companies um, and just get a different opinion. Because this is a, largely a one-mic podcast. So my opinion is... Uh, <laughs> Is I, people know it? I go over it again and again and again, so it gives basically a little bit different perspective. So, um, are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. It'll okay. be fun. Let's talk about Lucid Motors. Your thoughts? Yeah. So, um, I, I'm a fan of uh, EV in general. I want all the EV companies to be successful. Just to be clear about that, um, I I like what Lucid is doing. They're basically following the playbook of Tesla, and um, and. and you know, I think that's a great playbook to be following. And, you know, if I had to bet on whether or not Lucid was going to be around 10 years from now and gonna, uh, would be a successful company, I would bet that it probably will be because it doesn't have the baggage of uh, traditional car makers. Now, is it a company that's worth $80 billion for its IPO without having delivered a single car? Mm, you know, considering, you know, two years ago, you could buy Tesla at uh, less than, you know, 35 billion when it had 25 billion in revenue. It's a pretty ridiculous valuation, but, um, but so was Tesla on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, since the market was so wrong about Tesla and got it wrong for so long, I think the market is overcorrecting in the other direction with anything that has the label EV on it. So, um, Lucid is a beneficiary of that. Yeah, and we'll get to Rivian too, but Rivian same they're they're right around eighty billion dollars and this month hopefully they'll start shipping their cars. Right. But to this point they haven't shipped a car. Yeah, I mean the, the same is true with Rivian. And, and you know, like Rivian actually their their cars also look amazing and they've gotten rave reviews as well, which is another important factor. And I think they too are following in the footsteps of Tesla in a way, similar playbook, uh electric only that you know they're trying to figure out all of the software, the self-driving, the charging infrastructure. So, you know, I think Rivian, too, will be a successful company, especially since they have some pretty amazing partnerships as well. So, But, again, some of these companies might be getting ahead of their valuations uh, or their valuations might be getting ahead of their, you know, obviously where they are, which is zero sales. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> have you have you an opportunity to sit in a Rivian or a, or a Lucid uh, Air? I haven't. Just uh, I have – uh, the, the, all of the vehicles look amazing, in my opinion. Like people say, Lucid's car looks like shit or whatever. I mean, that's just personal opinion. I think it looks nice, it, and the interior looks gorgeous, in my opinion. So, um, and, and then the Rivian, every person who has interacted with it physically seems to rave about it. So, um, I've only seen positive things there. Yeah, I've seen I've seen both, and uh, I actually got to sit in the Lucid and. If Apple were to make a car, I firmly believe that Lucid would be like that's what they would build. Right. Like it is like inside they have put so much um, uh, thought into every single detail. And unfortunately, I think that some of that um, – like just even the colors, like this is the the sunset in California right. at noon in this part of California or whatever sun's not noon, but you know what I'm saying. Sunset in this part of California. That's great. I'm afraid that they're being too um, too uh, detailed. So the mass yeah. production issues, right? Yeah. I think they're. I mean, I totally agree. Precious that. is what yeah. the word I I tend to use is. Um, but I love that they're thinking about that. When we went. Um, I took my oldest and we went to Monterey and we met up with those guys and I interviewed one of their uh, marketing people 
And when, when we went, I thought this is a car for elitists. These guys are going to be jerks. And they were so nice and so kind. And like the same, some of the same people I talked to then are still working for the company, which is always a good sign because this right. was 2017. And that car, I cannot even express the amount of, of luxury that car has dripping off of it. I'm sure as they are making a more mass uh, produced vehicle at the 60, 70,000, it's going to drop down quite a bit, but. It's it's a beautiful same with the the Rivian. The Rivian is a little more rugged. Um, it's a little bit more like Tesla, I think, in build quality. But the amount of things that you can do with it right. and customize and mod is like hands down. Like I talked to a guy who designed the rear end suspension, and this guy talked to me for thirty minutes, and he was one super interesting to talk to. I had no idea what he was saying. But he was passionate about the rear end suspension. And he's looking around. He's like, uh, that trail over there, I, I designed that rear end suspension over there. He's like, I designed the rear end suspension to this vehicle over here. Like, these are people who are like, or was part of the design, I should say. Are, these are people that are like passionate about their jobs in both yeah. companies. And it shows like hands down uh, in what they're doing. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's awesome. It it appears as though they're making some pretty incredible cars, which is wonderful. The the, uh, the worry that I have is exactly the, uh, the worry that you share, which is that, um, you know, the more complex you make the car because of all of these luxury components that you need, it reminds me of the statement that uh, Elon Musk often makes is that, you know, if your car is 10,000 parts, the uh, rate at which you can manufacture the car is based on the lowest component, uh, the, the you know, um, the component that's hardest to produce. <laughs> it's not like if you can get 9,999 of the parts every day, uh, but you can't get one of them, well, you can't put out the car because you're dependent on all of the parts. So, um some of that luxury aspect sort of worries me as to whether or not Lucid can deliver 20,000 cars a year or in its first year of mass production. I hope that they can, um, but those are the things that would be concerning to me if I was an investor. Like, where's the upside if the company is already valued at $80 billion? Now, if it was worth $8 billion, the upside would be, well, this company, if it starts delivering, might be worth $80 billion or $100 billion one day, <laughs> but not if it's starting out with zero cars delivered. Well, and I think their stock price, because I'm an investor in Lucid, and I think their stock price reflects that because I just bought uh, a couple of shares at $19 a share this morning when I woke up and I was like, well, I mean, I'm all in on this goat, so might as well continue <laughs> feeding it. Right. But um, – yeah, so I I think that's a good point. And you know what, Elon, at, at one point in time, when you configured a Model S right after the Model S was uh, released, you can configure that thing in in so many different directions. And eventually, they just said, we have to eliminate all of these options and yeah. just give like there's uh, at most in each category. There's two options, right? That's essentially what Steve Jobs did to Apple. Like when yeah. when he took over Apple, the Apple had over 130 different products. They, they were like the VW of uh, <laughs> of like the computer industry, or like similar to Dell. Um, and he basically eliminated all the products down to four. You know, so it's like we need a pro, uh, you know, laptop and a pro desktop and a consumer laptop and a consumer desktop. That was the four matrix. And that's essentially what um, what Tesla has done. They have four vehicles, you know, the uh, luxury uh, sedan and luxury SUV, and then the sort of more less luxury Model 3, and that's more for the masses and the Model Y. And within each one, very few configurations, and boom, now you can mass produce the hell out of all of them. And um, it makes things from a manufacturing s- standpoint a lot easier, a lot less components to worry about. For sure. And um, I mean, it's it's definitely paid off. Like there was a time when Tesla was like, you know, bankruptcy was it was imminent. And they were like, they really did. Like they had uh, um, vendors that they were paying to do nothing. So right. th- this was that whole change was all a part of that. And it's really kind of bared fruit for them. Right, right. So, so let's come jump into two of these companies you know pretty well, um, and then we won't talk about Aptera. But um, let's talk about three the three wheeled vehicles because yeah. I also love three wheeled vehicles. Like I, I, I have such joy for the weird, and I'm so happy that people are doing weird things. So Electra Mechanica 
What are your thoughts on the solo? So I've actually sat in the solo. They have them at the uh, Fashion Square Mall uh, in Scottsdale. And um, it's an interesting vehicle in that, like, it is it is three-wheeled, and it's just for one person. Like, you can't put two people in it. And it and it's a car, essentially. It has, like, car doors. And everything about it is, like, a steering wheel. Everything about it is a car. And they're trying to be a three-wheeled car for one person for roughly 20-something thousand and it looks way too strange for it to take off in a massive way, in my opinion. Now, on the other hand, Arkimoto, who also is a three-wheel uh, vehicle, is not trying to be a car. It's closer to a, a motorcycle, but it's a motorcycle that non-motorcyclists would drive. And uh, it's open. It's got the side open. And it's a two-person vehicle, which makes a big difference. You can actually take someone, a significant other, with you. <laughs> Um, and I think that makes all the difference in the world. Uh, and interestingly, there's, uh, you know, variations of it where it's one person, but with a, uh, delivery sort of basket in the back that, uh, is enclosed for people who are delivering food or whatever. Um, and I think that, uh, that company, Arkimoto, is likely going to be the successful three wheeled, uh, vehicle out of the two of them. Uh, and I'm a huge Arkimoto fan and investor. So I've uh, gone basically all in. I think that's one company that is undervalued considering, you know, if the Rivian and uh, Lucid Motors of the world who have delivered zero vehicles can be worth $80 billion and Arkimoto is worth like $500 million, <laughs> um, roughly speaking, um, these guys have a lot more potential. And they've actually delivered 100 of them. So they're only sort of uh, next stage as to whether or not they can uh, – get there is whether or not they can do the mass manufacturing. And that's what they're working on right now. So they're a year, year and a half away from mass manufacturing. And then if they're successful, uh, that company is really going to take off. What are the, what do they start at? Also about 20,000. Yeah. I think it, uh, when I look at these vehicles, the, the solo and the Apteras and, and the Arkimoto's, I look at that as more of like the gig economy, delivering groceries, delivering food. Like that's a really economical way to do that because like I used, when I first started the podcast, like to buy all of this stuff, like I needed to make extra money. So I did Lyft and like I made no extra money driving a Lyft. And I was like, well, that's silly. And then I went a different route to, to get the money to do this. But, um, but if you had something where you're delivering groceries or whatever and you can do that and it almost costs you nothing to operate your vehicle, right. your money, like that you're not a hundred percent profit, but you're, you're you you're making pretty good money. Yeah, it's point. basically your time, right? But but you're you're absolutely right. If you're doing that anyway, and the the choices are to do that in a big gas based car that you know is like uh, taking up a lot of room, hard to find parking spot for it or whatever, versus a Archimoto FUV vehicle, fun utility vehicle, uh, as they call it, uh, super small, very efficient, all electric, gives you a hundred mile of range, super fun to drive um apparently from everyone who's driven one uh seems to rave about it so yeah i think that uh, they have a pretty good shot and i think they have a pretty good shot in sort of like uh just uh, tourism and um you know uh an extra vehicle for like families that want to just have something fun playing around that they can uh take a quick trip on you know that the the tourism thing is really uh interesting have you I mean, I'm assuming you've been to Santa Barbara, I don't, yeah, right? So yeah. they, there's lots of little tours that you can do on all sorts of weird little, like, go-kart looking things. Right. I, and my wife and I and the kids, we've done those. It's fun. Yeah. I can see, like, somebody up front and every vehicle has a radio and you just kind of follow along in the path. And Absolutely. And there's tons of cool things to see in Santa Barbara that way. Right, right. And it's not busy traffic-wise, so... No, that's exactly right. And and then compare that to the Solo, which is basically a car, but for one person, uh, as opposed to two, and it's like enclosed. And, you know, it just looks weird. Um, it The likelihood of success seems to be a lot lower for that vehicle. Have you seen... Um, and, and by the way, I don't think they're in competition with one another. I think it's like totally different markets p potential. Yeah, no. And, and the same with the Aptera. I think they the three wheels is really why I combine them together. Right, right. Um, but the um, have you seen the Electra Mechanica, um, the Torino? 
I haven't seen that one. So this is a beautiful sports car, two-seater, very classic-looking sports car from the 50s. Okay. $90,000. Okay. But no range. <laughs> like, n- <laughs> What's no, the range on it? I I want to say it's like 100 or 200, less than 200 miles or something like that. I, I It's been a while since I've looked at it, but it's like so much money and there's no there's no um I, the the instrument cluster might be an LCD screen okay. but there's like it's it's a very classic looking car and if you're into that kind of thing then that makes a lot of sense like if you want that classic uh uh corvette look or some of those uh foreign cars looks you know the great but it's still $90,000 you get right. nothing but the electric drivetrain and the look and feel of something that's old Say, and under under two hundred mile range for ninety thousand seems excessive. Um, you, you know because range anxiety is real. I think everyone who's bought an electric vehicle at the beginning has had range anxiety until they own one, and then if it's a Tesla, then you're like, oh, that was all like for nothing. I shouldn't have had range anxiety because I could charge it everywhere. Um, and, and with the Tesla chargers, but. If these other vehicles do put uh, Tesla charge capabilities into their cars, and that could potentially alleviate a lot of the range aspect of it, range anxiety, but 90000 is a pretty high price to be paying when you could be buying a Tesla, for example. Yeah, when I when I look at these cars, um, like the Jaguar R-Pace has terrible miles, but is a beautiful car inside. It's got every bell and whistle that you could possibly want. The seats are really super comfortable and luxurious and like the car is very lickable, right? <laughs> um, and that thing starts at like $75,000. Right. So like the, the price that they want to charge for this car and I might be a little lower, a little high on the price, but it's in that range is, is absolutely absurd for what you can get out and, there. Other, yeah. Yeah. And other vehicles and, yeah. and the I-Pace, you know, it's got its little issues here and there, but, um, I don't know if you've had a chance to to drive one or send one, but it's a really nice car. Right. You you know, one thing that Tesla has always done is, and this is something that I think company, like people forget that they think that uh, companies or brands like Apple or whatever are um, marketing driven and they're not, they're, they're, they usually deliver a product that no one else can deliver at the same price. Right. So, you know, when Tesla was delivering the Model S, you could not get another vehicle with those kind of specs at anywhere close to that price. Um, and even in a gas-based car, uh, let alone an electric vehicle. Um, so there were no other options. So now that there are options, now that there are Teslas in the world and the Jaguar I-Paces in the world, then, you know, Mercedes is coming out with theirs and VW has the Porsche Taycan and uh, uh, Audi has their versions. So now that there's a lot of competition, the question is, why sh- should someone buy that vehicle that gives you, you know, less than 200 miles of range and, you know, who knows what this per- performance uh, specs are for $90,000? There's a lot of choice. So you can't just be a me too, I have something and it's not nearly as good, <laughs> but here's the price tag on it. Maybe even if the price tag is a little bit better, people are still going to choose the better vehicle. Uh, because, you know, you got to deliver something that's significantly better at a lower price. And I think companies oftentimes forget that. And it's easy to forget because it seems like companies like Apple are like a marketing-driven company, whereas, no, they're a product-driven company. They delivered products that no one else could deliver at those prices. Yeah, and and the th- luxury for some people is different than luxury for somebody else. For me, and I don't know about you, but for me, I would rather have the most tech forward vehicle or whatever I'm buying right? versus having something that had really nice, comfy seats. Like I want the nice, comfy seats. The Model Y's got great seats. Yeah, uh, The Ford Mach-E's got great seats. That's something that is important to me, but I don't need to have like the high grain leather. Uh, that doesn't – like if I have that and the entertainment system is terrible, like I – I've lost. Right. Or if uh, you can't get software updates on, right. you know, like, yeah. Or you have to take it to the, you have to take it to the dealer to get the car updated and it takes you an hour and it's a five minute update. <laughs> it, like the, I, I just went through that with our van and it drives me crazy. Yeah. But, um, so 
I, I, I'm a big fan of uh, not EV shaming. Like some people are going to go for like that uh, Rod Simmons was uh, talking about earlier. He's going to go for that Mercedes or he's going to consider that Mercedes because he likes that luxury feel. And the car right. is technical enough for him. And he owns two Teslas and he's he's pretty um, – uh, he's very he's a very technical person, so that that's a car that he really likes, whether he buys it or not. Who knows? But the the point is, is that something that that calls to him? I would much rather have a car like Tesla that continues to get better four, five, six years, and I know it's going to be supported uh, versus uh, having a Mercedes that's really nice today and maybe in three years, but in five years because I hold on to my cars for a little bit longer. Um, you might know, be outdated. Might be or- outdated, or I'm not getting anything right. So, you know, what's interesting is like, I'm a, uh, I was a huge Mercedes fan before uh, switching to Tesla and I own multiple Mercedes and I love the Mercedes. And, and I, to be honest, going from Mercedes to a Tesla, I was super disappointed at the beginning about the fit and finish because Mercedes fit and finish is pretty phenomenal. Like you go in and the seats are incredibly nice. The, uh, panels, everything is like very, very nicely finished and you get this sort of like, Ex, uh, expectation. Your expectation when when you're a Mercedes driver is like one where you know you have you, you've come to expect a certain interior that um, Tesla doesn't really deliver at at the beginning of when you first become a Tesla owner. You're like, wait, wait, what? There's nothing in here, and the fit and finish doesn't seem as nice. And it's gotten better over time as I've owned a Tesla, but. Overall, you get into a Tesla, you're not super impressed by its fit and finish because there's nothing, not much there. But over time, you start to appreciate it. And then you're like, okay, forget about the fit and finish. The, the important aspects of the car are actually all this software that does cool stuff. Like when I open the door, my radio comes on and it's like, or, you know, the audio uh, continues my podcast exactly where I left it off or just all these little things or, um, you, you know, when I walk away from the vehicle, it automatically locks itself or just there's a million little things in a Tesla that you start to appreciate a lot more than just having nice leather seats, right? Uh, or extra stitching in, in your seats. So, you know, when Mercedes comes out with their EQ series of um, vehicles, I suspect the people who are all about the fit and finish will start to buy those vehicles. And, um and hopefully that'll be that'll mean success for Mercedes's transition to EVs. But I think they will lack quite a bit behind Tesla on delivering all aspects of what a new vehicle should be when it comes to software and range and battery systems and charge infrastructure and all of this stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. You know, yeah, and and um, that we'll take that to. Uh, we were talking earlier, and you had mentioned that there's four transitions you think in the auto industry. Yeah, um, do you want to go over those? Because I thought that was a really good. Yeah, so really so good you know, like for a hundred years, the car industry has basically been similar in that, like it's uh, internal combustion engine cars. They just make them better, slightly quieter. You know, like it's all incremental changes, right? Uh, and uh, and when a disruptive technology comes along, it's when uh, shifts can happen from existing um, established number one players or top players to new players. Um, and uh, in the car industry, there hasn't really been a disruptive technology that has come along for a long time. Uh, and uh, right now, we're in this sort of transition that four disruptive technologies are coming about at roughly the same time. Uh, one is where like everything in a car is becoming software-based. Um, so, you know, it, it used to be that, for example, you know, like uh, the ABS system, the the braking system of a car was being controlled by software. And it's like this just modular system. You plug it in and, you know, like somebody else makes the software. The car company didn't have to worry about it because they could have OEMs that make these software for the different aspects of them. But the software is now being unified in, in a car where all of the software in a car is being unified and being able to be updated over the air so that you can get like, hey, if you did, you got the formula for the ABS wrong, you can update it as Tesla did for the Model 3 when, you know, Consumer Reports was like, wait, this is longer braking range than any other car we've ever tested in this class. And two weeks later, they're like, now it's better than any other car we've tested in this class. So um, the fact that you can do that kind of software update for an ABS system is 
you know, like that's a disruption by itself. So that's one disruption that's happening in the, in the car industry. And it's, we haven't fully seen it yet. The other disruption is this uh, sort of move to electric uh, motors and batteries as opposed to internal combustion engines. That requires totally different skill sets on creating the cars, engineering them, um, but also in even like uh, the way uh, we power them, which is mostly at the house versus uh, versus gas stations and things. So that's one disruption. Another is ride sharing, right? Right? Uber and Lyft and these things are causing people to um, essentially not own cars. Like 16-year-olds today or 18-year-old, 20-year-olds don't own cars as much as they uh, did 20 years ago. So because they can get anywhere they want with just a click of a button on their phone. So there's less reason to own a car because of ride sharing. And then finally, autonomous uh, vehicles that are going to be coming that can uh, basically, it's, it does the ride sharing, but without the driver, which means you can actually share the same car. If you want to even own the car, in a family of four, instead of owning two to four cars, you can own one or maybe two cars and just have everyone share the same vehicles. Or you could even um, imagine a scenario where you just uh, pay a monthly fee and a car is available to you anytime you want. And everyone just sort of like uh, does that sort of thing, which might require uh, 80% fewer cars to be manufactured in the future. So four different distinct disruptions all happening at the same time to the car industry, right? Uh, and it's all probably going to converge over the next 10 years. And there's only one company that is really good at all four of these things, <laughs> right? And that's Tesla. Um, so when you look at sort of like Mercedes or VW or whatever, these guys are just trying to con uh, uh, to make to stay alive with one of these transitions, which is the transition to EV. But are they getting the software right? Are they getting the uh, autonomous driving right? Are they going to be able to like offer ride sharing through autonomous driving, the robo taxi essentially, uh, right? And um, it's it's hard to imagine that executives at GM or Ford or you know any of these companies would understand what's necessary to get it right. Yeah, and for, uh, it was Ford just hired Brad Field away from Apple. I believe that was his name. So it looks like Ford's really trying because he was at Tesla. He was at Apple. He was at Tesla, and then he went back to Apple. Now he's at Ford. So that's great. But to kind of bolster your points, my personal opinion of, of, of like advances in the auto industry have mostly been like government mandated. They're like, you need to have better fuel economy. <laughs> right. You need to have safer cars. And because of these mandates, then the the auto manufacturers rise to that occasion, but then they stop. Right. Um, and they're like, well, we'll add this other thing for next year's model. And this other Tesla doesn't do any of that stuff. They right. just, they're just like, it's ready to ship or shipping. And sometimes they have to do a software update to, to fix that. And then VW had hundreds, if not thousands of ID threes just sitting because they had multiple vendor vendors for their, um, infotainment system. And then also for all of the other stuff that's running the battery modules and running the, um, um, the ABS, the, the stuff that you're talking about, they had so many vendors that it was just a mess. Right. And it just sat there. So, you know, you can think of it as like <clears throat> in a company, a culture starts to develop over, you know, its first few years. Now, a company that's 100 years old, like car companies that have been making ice-based cars, um, they, they've, they have 100 years worth of culture that is doing things a certain way. So, you know, changing out one or two or five executives at the top is not going to change this ginormous, you know, think of it as a aircraft carrier ship and turn around and like go all of a sudden in the opposite direction overnight. So um, that transition will be very difficult for them. It's And that's why they call it disruptive technology. Like when um, the computer industry went from mainframes to PCs, it wasn't IBM that was able to sort of transition through that uh, beautifully. Uh, because they understood mainframes and they never lost their edge on mainframes, but they didn't fully get the PC industry despite making one of the most successful PCs initially, but then like they lost it over time to others. Um, similar sort of thing happened to Kodak with sort of film uh, going to digital or uh, Blackberry Ericsson and Motorola and uh, Microsoft uh, phones when the iPhone came out because they, it was a disruptive technology that sort of made that shift. So when you fast forward, when the disruptive technology starts to come out and then you fast forward usually 10, 15 years from that point, 
you find that the existing players almost are non-existent or niche players uh, 10, 15 years later. So if I were to guess, my guess would be that, you know, most of the existing car industry is either going to be, is either going to shut down uh, and completely go away, or they're going to be niche players in somewhere in the 10 to 15 year uh, range. So that transition is very, very tough, largely because of culture, because, you know, you can't, Take GM and all of a sudden convert it to a culture where, no, we're going to be updating our cars every two weeks with software updates that's, you know, like maybe something will not be functioning perfectly. And then like, that's okay. We'll, we'll update it again two weeks later so that it will function perfectly. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of mentality doesn't even exist. Not to mention their cars weren't designed for that with that in mind. So, uh, in a Tesla, everything is touch control on a screen, which means you can do a software update for everything. Whereas if you have buttons, the latest Corvette had like the, you know, like that string of buttons in the, in the middle. It's like you, those buttons will forever be whatever that button was intended to be for. And you can never change it or modify it or do anything to it because it's hardware. So, but those buttons are beautiful in that car. <laughs> like I was never a Corvette fan until the latest model of Corvette. And right. I was like, every time I see it, I'm like, Man, that's un. It doesn't even look like a Corvette. It looks like a supercar almost. Right. No, I mean it, it's you know it's this sort of like uh, it, it's beauty aside, it's uh, constraining, right? Because it ties GM's hands in what it can update, right? It can't do a software update that changes those buttons, <laughs> you know, like uh, because those buttons also have labels and you can't change the labels. So, you know, there's constraints that gets placed on you just based on the way that the car has been built. So it hasn't been, none of their cars have been built with this sort of idea that they can change things in the future. Um, whereas Tesla's have, because they have that sort of first uh, disruption, which is software is driving everything. Yeah. yeah. Have you, have you had a chance to ride in a Waymo? I have not, but they, they look pretty cool. I mean, it's terrifying. Like without, it I've done it without the driver several times because they have them all over my neighborhood. And it is, okay, so um, I don't want to give away where I live, but I was like, I want to go to Trader Joe's, right? So it takes me up to Trader Joe's. It needs to make a left turn. It doesn't feel, it stops. And then it's like, nah, we're not making the left turn. <laughs> so we go up through the major intersection, through a neighborhood, all the way around back into, a, onto a major road and then back on the road we were on. But now we're going south instead of north. So it can so make a right. right turn. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and then it parked like, and I, I felt terrible because it parked and this was like, um, this was probably August of last year, the first time I did this. It parked right in front of the store, and there's a bunch of, like, little old ladies trying to get oh, no. into this store. And it was just <laughs> like it just kind of forced its way in there. Not not enough to hurt anybody, you know. But And then it just let me out, and I was like, oh, I would just – I wish you would have let me out just a little bit further back. <laughs> you're you're the walked. guy everyone's looking at. Right. Like, you you just blocked our way. <laughs> and it hasn't – it's gotten better. I, it's been a couple months since I've driven in the driverless one, and it's gotten a little bit better. But it's not like – I can tell you hands down Tesla's is better for sure. And, you know, Tesla's is the world. Um, the Waymo right now is, is Chandler Tempe and um, a little bit of South Phoenix or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting there is that, like, I think Tesla is probably going to also have these kind of problems for a robo-taxi, right? And I think they're years away from, despite, you know, what uh, Elon is saying. I think I'm a better estimator of Tesla's things now than Elon is. So, yeah. so I can conf- firmly say, I think that, that uh, I'm more right than uh, Elon will be on this. But I think they're at least um, two plus years and possibly as much as, you know, five uh, years away from Robo taxis being a thing because of these little problems, because people are not going to tolerate those types of uh, issues, uh, especially at the beginning. So the advantage, though, that Tesla has is that for every car that they're putting out there, they're making, first of all, they're selling the car and they're making $10,000, $15,000 of profit margin on each vehicle as they're trying to figure out this full self-driving business. For every car that Waymo puts out there, they spend over a hundred thousand, maybe one hundred fifty thousand, to make the car with all of its uh, and uh, you know cameras and things, and they're not making anything from it except for whatever they're charging for the ride. So, um, for them, 
to try to do this at scale actually would cost a hundred billion dollars to put a million cars out on the road. Whereas for Tesla, they already have a million cars out on the road. So, uh, the, the probability of success on who's going to figure it out first, even if Tesla was behind or it was behind a few years ago, even if it's behind today, which I don't know if it is, um, it might be ahead today. Uh, but even if it was behind, I would still bet on Tesla. I actually wrote an article about like why that would be the case several years ago that, um, describing all of these things in, in, in detail. Yeah. And I, for me, the way I look at autonomous driving, right, is Tesla's an advanced level two, and they're probably the most advanced level two out of, out there. Like Ford can't even take a gentle turn on the freeway (laughs) without, without freaking out. Um, and Tesla does fine, especially on the freeway. Um, my, my oldest, she has a, a, a Tesla. So, uh, they have the model three and they've been traveling all over the, the country from place to place to place in their model three with their little golden retriever dog or massive golden retriever dog and mostly on autopilot or mostly on full self driving. And, um, both, and I appreciate this, but both her and her boyfriend, like they'll remind each other, Hey, pay attention, uh, yeah. hey, pay attention to make sure. Right. Yeah. And they report back some minor issues, but largely like, and they're traveling all over the country. Like my sample size is going to be Tempe, Scottsdale, you know, Chandler, and then I work on the West Valley in the West Valley. So the 202, if basically that's my, that's my sample size of, of where I would drive, but they're all over the place and it's pretty much even right everywhere they go, which is a fantastic for Tesla. Yeah. But it, as you creep up onto the level three and level four and level five, it's just, it's more of like, how much do you have to interact with the car to make it do the right thing? And I think that's the hardest part to solve for. Right. Um, and they're, they're, they haven't. Unfortunately, to this point. Well, it, I mean, it's getting closer. And, and I think that like having a backup driver makes all the difference, right? Like you, you can, um, like you said, I, I use my autopilot everywhere, uh, including on cities. And then I just take over when I need to turn, you know, so it doesn't take turns for me in, in the city. On the freeway, it's great. And, it, you know, like you can pretty much rely on it, but I'm paying attention all the time. And if it was driving completely from point A to point B for me, that would be even better, but you know, I'm there for like the edge cases at usually the ends, right? Like how do you park and get it into a particular spot or like, is it okay to park in front of that jo- uh, Trader Joe's in front of the door and block the people? Who, you know, like all of those kind of things It's going to, you know, there's so many edge cases like that that I think it's just going to take way too long uh, or not too long, but it's just going to take years before it's there. Right. So, um, I suspect that uh, the way in which Tesla is doing it is actually really good. It's just that, you know, they've always been the, – the promises of Elon has been ahead of where they have been. And that's a little unfortunate. I wish he wouldn't do that. But um, because they have, like, the best system on the market in terms of what you can buy for a vehicle. Um, and, they you know, people would be willing to pay even the whole ten grand for just what they deliver today as opposed to – the future of like full self-driving with robo taxi capability. <laughs> yeah. I think they need to sell. Yes. I, I th- one is Elon needs to dampen down the message a little bit. Two is they need to sell for what they have and not what they're offering in the future. Cause I know like the, um, Mel Herbert who does the, uh, uh, Oh man, he does a podcast about Tesla. Oh, I'm missing it. Uh, anyway, he, he's bought like in the time that I've been listening to him, He's bought like three or four Teslas in between and he's paid for full self-driving every single time yeah. and he hasn't got full self-driving. He's, yeah. he's mean, got like, what they offered. They, they've been selling it for five years roughly, which is uh, uh, just, I mean, with, with the expectation, setting the expectation that it'll be delivered within a year uh, pending, you know, um, regulatory approvals or whatever. But it's never even been remotely close to. Um, delivery. So for five years, people have switched cars, et cetera. And the funny thing is that five years ago, they were selling it for five grand, right? And the reality is that that 5,000 also got people this sort of autopilot with the ability to change lanes and, you know, like all this sort of safety features that people would have been willing to pay five grand for, you know, and you could have just recognized 100% of that revenue. I, I think this is a sort of mistake that, you know, at some point Tesla is going to pay, um, for possibly in legal actions, but um, I, I, I believe there's like 
uh, lawsuits that are around this um, that are happening to Tesla. But, you know, it was an unnecessary thing for them to be promising it within such a short period of time, setting that expectation and then not delivering on a continuous basis, on a rolling, you know, five-year period of time, and it's still not delivered. Yeah. And then, the, the like, when, when I first started the podcast, I think it was either that year or the next year, Hardware 2 came out. And it was right. like hardware twos is all you're going to need. Right. Don't need anything. And then hardware three came out, and it was right. like so much more powerful than hardware two. Now hardware four is where we're at, and I, we're probably like hardware ten before we really get anything <laughs> that that like in a reasonable that's going to reasonably be safe for people to be driving around on the road. Or the, I mean, hardware three technically is driving. You know, the, their beta program is hardware three for a couple thousand people, and you know, from the videos, it seems pretty good. You, you know, it, it seems like it's a software-based problem as opposed to um, hardware improvements. Although there is a question as to whether or not the camera angles are perfect and, you know, all of that stuff. But hardware 4 might might fix that. And maybe it's hardware 4 that sort of actually delivers it. But in any case, the software itself, I think, is probably uh, a few years out. So for, for robo-taxi level to where the car is driving without a person behind the wheel at all. No backup driver. Yeah, and and Elon and everywhere. mentioned that the there were some limitations with the current cameras, and then on the Cybertruck in late 2023 when it's finally released, um, those limitations should be corrected with that new hardware. But anybody that has hardware three now with the current camera system isn't going to get that unless they buy a new vehicle, unfortunately. And I would imagine that it's like even if they wanted to, it would be so cost prohibitive to. To uh, retro install, right? It wouldn't. Make so sense. you know, imagine if you didn't have that cloud over over your head that, like, you, you know, you've been promising and selling FSD for five years and haven't delivered, and th- that's a cloud, in my opinion. It's a it's a self induced, uh, you, you know, cloud that shouldn't have existed. They could have recognized all of the revenue, um, and uh, have been delivering. Autopilot, essentially, they're in this entire enhanced autopilot, as they used to call it. But anyway, we can, we can move on to <laughs> other subjects. But. Yeah, though that I, I like this is really good to chat with you about because uh, honestly, like my friends are are uh, like basically cavemen, right? They they know nothing about uh, technology. They know nothing about like when I got an iPhone, they're like, "Why would you ever need something like that?" Now they all have iPhones, <laughs> so they're about ten or fifteen years behind of everybody that's reasonable in the world. <laughs> but I have these conversations with them about how the Teslas are, you know, driving into whatever. Um, And it's like, well, no, like 11 drove into a fire, into emergency vehicles, 11 out of all the Teslas that are out there and all the incidences that have been similar isn't a very big number. So it's nice to have a conversation with somebody that can pose different points of view without uh, an expletive being (laughs) added at the end and an insult. So. No, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because I think people are very emotionally driven uh, when, when it comes to like a fire or whatever, um, an incident. And I think that uh, obviously media, because the way the media works, is not, um, uh, it doesn't cover things in the appropriate way. So they, they exaggerate or it appears as though they exaggerate, but um, all they're doing is covering the things that are interesting and will get clicks. Um so, you, you know, when there's fire, whether it's a Tesla or now the Bolt, right? Like, it, it feels like, oh, my God, every Bolt is c- catching fire, too. And I was like, actually looking at the stats, and the stats are not that bad. They're way worse than Teslas, you, you know, just to be clear. But, I mean, I think there's been 16 fires or something like that out of over 100,000 vehicles that they've sold. And I would wager that, like, the vast majority of people have no idea what is the typical number of fires for normal vehicles when there's 100,000 of them out there. Uh, BMWs are famous for catching fire in, uh, like, sitting in uh, parking uh, garages. So there's some, some like, elements of fire that sort of get a little bit, you know, uh, sensationalized. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you got to look at the statistics and see where is the safety record for these for these vehicles and Tesla definitely has amazing safety record. Yeah. I've, I've been a firefighter for 18 years. I have never, I myself have never been on an electric a vehicle that was caused by electric car fire or house fire that was caused by an electric car, but I've been on several cars, uh, calls 
where a, a gas car in the garage started the whole house on fire or extended from the garage to the house. And maybe not the whole house is a little exaggerated, but um, like not not one electric car fire right, right. ever. Like I had a hybrid car and I don't think the battery was on fire, but it might have been because it was pretty spectacular the way the fire was coming out. And they just put it out like no big deal. Right. Like I'm on a ladder truck, so we don't have hoses or anything like that. So we just rolled up on this accident and there's a fire. So we have to we stand there and have to call an engine to come and uh, assist us. Uh, but everybody was fine. But I've, I've never been on one. And there's a ton in the area that I work. There's a ton of uh, Model 3s and other electric cars. I right. mean, it just doesn't make you any sense. You see them everywhere now in Arizona, which is oh, great. I counted eight on the way from – I live 20 minutes away. So from my house to here, it was eight. Yeah. And, and you go with the traffic. So yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's crazy. Th- there was a There's beautiful eight in our parking uh, yeah, lot right now, that's which is true. which is kind of nuts. When I, when it, it feels like a Tesla dealership when I come over, <laughs> come to work here. Yeah, yeah. There's a beautiful gunmetal gray Model Y out there. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Uh, it's making me consider that color instead of white. Yeah, but okay. Let's talk about um, residential storage batteries because okay. really that's what sparked this whole yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I think I tweeted that um, seriously considering starting a battery company that. It focuses on residential battery backup systems. So, you, you you've talked about you've done a little bit of research in this. This is this is something that's near and dear to both of our hearts because I want battery backup storage. I can't get a, a power wall, even if I installed more solar on my house. There's a really good chance that I'm not going to get a power wall anytime soon. Yeah. So, um, what what are kind of your thoughts on on correcting this solution? So so it it started. Because I wanted some power walls for my house, right? I already have solar on my house, on, uh, on my primary home and <clears throat> I wanted more, uh, I just wanted battery backup systems. Uh, and you can't just buy power walls. You, you know, they, they're in such high demand that Tesla only sells them with solar. It's like, damn. So I look for other battery systems. There, there aren't any great ones out there, um, at a reasonable price, you know, like, uh, there are some out there, just to be clear, but there aren't any sort of like um, great companies that are doing uh, what Powerwall is doing, Tesla Powerwalls. Um, and my thinking is that, you know, like the demand for this stuff is only going to increase with the more extreme weather patterns that we, we're having and outage, electric outages that we have. The demand for battery backup systems for the for the home is only going to increase and it's already a billion, multi-billion dollar uh, industry. So... Um, as that demand increases and Tesla has plenty on their pl- plate in terms of like demand for literally everything that they're doing, they cannot make enough stuff. Um, they, they just can't pay attention to all areas. So this creates an opportunity, right? And, uh, you know, you know, I started researching it to see, you know, are there opportunities in battery home backup systems to, uh, uh, to see if, um, you know, there's an opportunity for a new company to sort of like exist and potentially become a, a significant player. And I think that there is. So I'm still in the research phase of this. Um, the, the next question will be whether or not I want to actually like <laughs> dive into it. Um, because, you, you know, doing a startup is, is a lot of work, but I am pretty excited about it. And, you know, in this sort of research, one of the things that I didn't even realize that, um, most homes with solar systems have is that, the entire solar system is designed to put the solar power into the grid. And if the grid goes out, your, your solar system is designed to actually shut down and not produce any power. So even the inverters that virtually all solar, solars on homes have, they're designed to shut down in case the grid goes out. So you cannot even take your own solar and feed it into a battery because you know, they're designed not to produce power if the grid goes down. So it just blew my mind that we have like, I don't know, so many megawatts or gigawatts of uh, power just in Arizona, like on rooftop solar. And all of them are designed not to produce anything in case the electricity goes out. And that that is just comical, right? Like it just blew my mind. Um, and, you know, it, obviously we should not be doing that and every solar system should be designed so that it can power batteries and put it on the grid if there's extra um and that way you can you know still actually power stuff if 
the utility goes out, which in extreme weather is happening more and more frequently. So, um, so there's, I think, a lot of opportunity for you know companies to do interesting things in this area, and um, and who knows, I might I might get brave one day and decide to jump into it. Well, if anyone who's listening is interested by this topic, by the way, and like wants to get involved, hit me up. You're, you're sitting across from somebody. <laughs> like this is something that I'm honestly passionate about. We talked about earlier. Like I don't like. Like I'm, I'm really anti price gouging, right? And I, it makes me angry that at four o'clock I have to pay attention, closer attention to what we're doing in our house, yeah. even though, or two o'clock or whatever it is now, even though like, like my, I have two small children. Those clothes, clothes still need to be washed. Like right. they come home and from school, they're stinky. Those clothes just can't be sitting there. And I don't want to be at up at 8.30 at night, and that's when I can start the laundry. <laughs> right. Like, that makes me so angry. And uh, like I said, I, I missed an opportunity to buy the, the Powerwalls when they were more affordable and when they were just available. Uh, if you are – I mean, I already have I – have, I, I gave Tesla a bunch of money for solar, um, but I still can't buy them. So right. I'm, I'm on board. Have you looked at any of the, like – uh, the like the zinc bromide or the um, any of these other kind of battery technology. Australia uses these zinc uh, bromide because they have a terrible grid system, right? Um, and they're fair. They can go down to zero and then come back up uh, without any much of anything. The only problem is they're big and hard to store, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So there's all kinds of really cool battery technology. Part of my research has been that that like you, you know uh, my. Um, Initial goal would not be to try to reinvent the battery or anything like that. It would be using existing technology that exists, but like packaging it up nicely, putting the right software systems in place and uh, selling solutions that are like scalable. You know, you you buy it maybe in five kilowatt hour increments and, uh, you know, you just stack it, right? Um, a solution like that doesn't exist that's easy to, uh, to do. Um, now... There are challenges because, you know, connecting it to your home is like still a problem that an electrician would still need to do. So, you know, you know, I've been like looking into how could you solve some of these challenges and, uh, and still make a viable company <laughs> that focuses on, uh, the, uh, nice, easy to use packaging and software that sort of like connects it all together, uh, really neatly. But, um, it, it it's not crystallized yet. Yeah. No, is this, this is not an easy, like, People think, like, they look at the Tesla and they're like, oh, you know, not a lot of thought went into that battery pack. But, like, there are several different chemistry um, – uh, oh, what, what am I looking for? Not formulas. Each of those batteries, the 2170 batteries, you know, some of those are uh, lithium iron phosphate. Some of them are the nickel right. batteries. There's, there's – even though the car looks the same on the outside, there is different technology or different um, – um, I wish I could remember the word. It sounds dumb. The chemistry is different for for each of those cars depending on how much range they want to get. Yeah. Not not to mention that, you know, Tesla did so much battery-related work just in the original Roadster. Like the first, you know, 10 years of Tesla's life was a lot around batteries and electronic components and everything that it needs to be able to power a vehicle and be able to do it in a smooth fashion of like ramping up and the amount of energy that it needs to output and the like – uh, fast charging. So there's a lot of technology that, that does need to go into these things. Um, besides the battery and the, and the, uh, chemistry in there and to make sure also it's fireproof or relatively fireproof. Um, so they have done a pretty amazing job at all of that, which is why they're the leader in, right. in the industry. But, um, but I think there's room for others to potentially play. I think, and and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I really like your your modular, uh, um, take like the, on this. Yeah, the five kilowatt type of right. Because you know. then you can you can you can build up like because these things are very expensive. Right, you know, twenty twenty thousand dollars for two power walls. Um, you get a little break uh, off your uh, taxes. You get a little break from a utility company sometimes, but that's you're still on the hook for a sizable amount of money. Um, it's not something that like um, 
we have in, in an area that I work that there's like uh, mostly like public housing kind of places, right? And all of those places have solar uh, on top of the roof. It would be great if they could have a some sort of solution there where they could actually have the storage with the solar so that they're not running into that problem that my family runs into, that they're not washing dishes or cooking with their electric stove on a four o'clock on a Monday because they, it's literally triple the price to do that at yeah. that time. Yeah, you know what's funny is that that uh, that whole uh, price. Uh, I think I forget what they call it, but it's like uh, the, the different pricing that you're talking about variable pricing from. I think it's three p.m. to eight p.m. I actually calculated, and electricity is like less than half the price uh, dur- during that time frame. Um, I actually calculated that you could potentially utilize batteries for that period of time and have the batteries pay for themselves essentially in a matter of like a year or two uh, because just from the savings that you would get by like augmenting your electricity with batteries during that time and then charging it right after. So it's like you're getting electricity at a half the price for roughly five hours a day. Um, you, you know, and, and that's a pretty significant savings because that, those five hours happen to be when you actually need electricity the most, which is why the, uh, the electric company is charging more for it. Right. right. <laughs> so, um, so th- there's opportunities to utilize battery with software to actually like really save people money uh, in the long run. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it's also a hard sell because, you know, like you got to convince people that this would be something that would happen for you. Right. Like, and that's, that's not an easy thing to convince people. Right. Well, you need people like you and I who are going to take arrows like on, on, on the newer technology. Right. And then when you get – I have never had somebody get into a car and I've – like Tesla's loaned me a couple. I've never had somebody get into the car ex- with the exception of my wife <laughs> who, who's just like this is just another way for you to get me to buy a car, a new car. But just in general, like when you get into the Tesla, you're like, oh my gosh. Like the – I keep trying to get them to like, they, they, I need, I wanted a long range and they're like, we'll take the performance. And I was like, no, no, no. I like, I'm never going to buy a performance. I want the long range. I want to test it. He's like, well, here's how he shows me how you can go in and, and change it. And I don't know if that's something for the demo cars or for the whatever, but I never took it off performance because perform, there was a, I was, I picked it up at Kirlin Commons. We're driving on the freeway. And there's a Maserati, and this guy has no idea that I'm looking at him or I have any sort of inclination <laughs> of of wanting to race him. But he kind of pulls up a little bit, and then I just I just got on it, and we're in sort of rush hour traffic, and I felt I felt really good about myself. Um, meanwhile, this guy doesn't care, right? right, right, right. <laughs> he's he's just in his car listening to whatever he's listening to and, and enjoying his Maserati world. But I was like, ah, oh, I felt good. Yeah. Um, I've never had anybody get into a Tesla and be like, oh, this sucks. But the same thing is you, we, you have to have those use cases and we don't with uh, home storage of people coming over and being like, why are you doing, why are you doing the dishes or uh, running the stove, doing the dishwasher and uh, your dryer all at the same time? Right. Like that doesn't like that's a that's harder to solve uh, or to show people the value of. But when you get down and you're you're having a couple of drinks and you're talking about how your electric bill was eighty dollars in the summer in Arizona, that's that's where you get that. Right, right. But you know the winter time that doesn't like we don't run our heat. We don't run hardly anything. <laughs> it costs nothing to heat your or keep your house going in the winter time here, but. All right, man. Thank you very much for for coming on and being yeah, so generous my, with your time. My pleasure. It's been it's been fun. It's areas of uh, interest. So you know, I I, I love what um, Tesla is doing. I love you know uh, future of technology. I think that there's so much goodness there. Yeah, we we are actually like in the the turn of the century. Um, when industry started getting big, like that was an exciting time for people, and we're there again whether we recognize it or not with the technology and how fast everything's advancing. Yeah. Like it's, it's hard to even keep track of anymore, honestly, but it's, it's an exciting time. Do you want to tell everybody about your podcast again and where they could find? It's AZ tech podcast, um, AZ like for Arizona and then tech for technology, obviously AZ tech podcast. And, uh, you go to aztechpodcast.com or just search it anywhere. It should show up. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Reed. Absolutely. It was a pleasure.
All right, that is our interview. I hope you enjoyed listening to it because I certainly enjoyed doing it. It was so much fun to sit down with Hamid and just chat about nerdy things like EVs and technology. And I mean, before we started the show, there was a whole bunch of conversation of just about general nerdy stuff. And like, that's what fuels me. So I'd like to take this time to thank Hamid, not only for coming on the show and being so generous with this time, but also uh, I was like up all day yesterday. Like my energy was real high yesterday. And I know it was because we got to sit down and we got to be nerds. Oh, and before we go, check out AZ Tech Podcast. I'm going to put it in our friends of the show section of the show notes, but check the podcast out. You're really going to enjoy it. If I could... um, make a recommendation, listen to the Francine Hardaway episode. I'm going to leave it at that because I've re-recorded this several times because I, I think Francine is just such an amazing person. I don't personally know her, but I know people who do know her and they all say the same thing. I've interacted with her online a little bit. Just go and listen. She's 80 years old and she, not only does she has, have an amazing story, she's continuing that amazing story into her next decade. So go and please, please, please listen to that episode. If that's the only one you listen to, it's well worth it. But all of them are great. All right, everybody, that is it for me. If you want to find me on Twitter, it's Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. That's my email address, not my Twitter. If you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at 918digital. I'm also an idiot. I hope you all have a wonderful week, and I will talk to you next Friday. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food. Food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1 800 Club Med or your travel advisor.